of their own. This is episode 30. I am Allison McCaig, and I am joined this week by my lovely co-hosts, Linda Surovich. Hi, Linda. Hey, Allison. And Maggie Wiggin. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Allison. We are also joined this week by a special guest, um, Bradford William Davis. Hi, Bradford. Hey, ho, what's up? So glad to have you on the show. This is awesome. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So um, Bradford, for those of you who have been living under a rock and don't know who Bradford is, uh, he (laughs) is a senior writer at the New York Daily News, mostly covering baseball. Um, He also does the Five and Dive podcast over at Baseball Prospectus, our very good friends at BP. You should check out that podcast and honestly, their whole suite of podcasts because, you know, they're doing great over there. They just expanded their podcast effort and Bradford has been a part of that. So y'all should check that out if you're already listening to this show and you aren't listening to those shows. What the heck are you doing? Um, so we have Bradford on at a very opportune time because there's stuff happening in both the Mets world and the baseball world. So obviously the main uh, thing that has happened with the Mets since we last recorded is that they finally hired their manager. Wow. Um, I didn't think they'd be able to stretch this show out to six seasons, but they did it. It's very <laughs> impressive. You know, I want to say so much we character kind of work. It- yeah, we kind of spoke it into existence, though, because we kind of were screaming about it on Tuesday. And by Friday, I think they hired Beltran. So you're welcome, Mets land. <laughs> A prophet is among us. Yeah, I think they also ended up going with Beltran because I said that I was scared of it. So <laughs> I would like to think that I had some small hand in it. Just to be clear. I was not scared of it because I'm scared of anything about Carlos Beltran, except that I think he is wonderful and I am scared of what the Mets will do to him. Yeah. Will they break him a second time? <laughs> Damn <laughs> it. They, they're going to try. Will they blame him. Yes. He will blame him. Be blamed. Okay. He will be blamed. <laughs> so Bradford, what do you think of the Beltran hire? Just like in general, what was your reaction to it? Well, I mean, I, I think I'm happy to see, uh, Carlos Beltran, who by all accounts seems to be a genuinely kind, decent person, get the thing he wanted. For some reason, that thing he wanted was to manage New York Mets. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't say I completely understand it, except, you know, you know what? I might, the take I gave actually on Five and Dive was that he, maybe he just kind of wanted to be in New York. You know, he had some sentimental tie to Mets, but like, but uh, the reason why he was only interviewing, you know, for a manager job in New York is because, you know, he wanted to stay here, which I get. You know, like he, he's been here for like a combined 12, 13 years off and on. Right. Um, besides that little stint in Texas um, and San Fran, I guess. So I want to say Louis, I'm sorry. But like, but, but you know, but, but for, for the last, for he's been spent most of his last few years here. So I, that's kind of my that's my inference. But nonetheless, like. You know, it seems like he genuinely buried the hatchet with, uh, you know, uh, the Wilpons. Um, like, I wouldn't advise that. But again, that's, <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> entirely. Um, you know, uh, the team does have actually a very strong core. So uh, so there is a there's a baseball reason to want to be with the Mets. You know, you could you can hope and dream that they kind of fell out the uh, sort of the, the fringes of the roster in a way that they never do. 
<laughs> to, yeah. um, you know, and to act. To, um, excuse to, me, Wade Miley is just sitting there for the taking right now. <laughs> Maggie, no, don't put Rick that out Porcello. there. Porcello, big. I'm Tehran now too. <laughs> you know what? Well, I mean, like, you know, the funny thing is, I, I, I actually wouldn't mind for for the Mets like a uh, an innings leader number five, as long as they just keep Wheeler around. But uh, you know, that's my that's just my personal hunch, and I doubt that they'll do both. So, you know, seems like a safe bet. Yeah. But anyway, so, I mean, like, you know, but he seems like a kind person. I think I, my understanding is that he is a fantastic leader of men. Uh, I remember really uh, appreciating, though he should not have had to do this. I appreciate the leadership it took for him to advocate for other uh, Latino baseball players, um, you know, in the locker room when they had to go, you know, when they had to do pre and post game interviews. Um, and, uh, not only translating for them for, you know, with, uh, English speaking, you know, journalists, but, but saying this shouldn't be this way. Like we need translators. And that is something that is, uh, really expanded across the league. So it's not just, you know, the high, uh, high profile Japanese imports that are getting translators, but like, you know, but, uh, a segment of major league rosters is like, you know, that makes up, you know, what a third or whatever of <laughs> the league at this point. Right. You know, so uh, so I, I think I think that sh- that shows the kind of the caliber of person he is. You know, the caliber of leader. Um, the cal- you know, c- clearly someone who who values the importance of good nuanced communication. Um, that that may be something that was lacking in the Mets clubhouse <laughs> in recent years. Nuance. Uh, yeah, you know, um, mm. he uh, he's shown he's shown a a comfortability with um. You know the new information that's available about how you know players can improve and you know and and, and just uh, you know be their best selves on the field, um, and uh, I, I think that's kind of cool as well. Like you know that that he has that you know that, that he that he that he's comfortable with that that he cares about it and that he wants to use that to help you know inform the decisions and you know I guess the you know just the ways he encourages and motivates his you know his team to just be their best selves on the field. So. So yeah, so I think that's dope as well. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm ex- I'm nervously excited to see how uh, a Beltran-led Mets, you know, goes forward. Do you think, uh, since he just worked with the Yankees and seeing how a well-run organization is run, could that help him <laughs> with an organization who might be lacking in that department? <laughs> <laughs> again, one of the reasons why I think half the reason he wants to be here is just because he wants to stay in New York. That, again, pure speculation. Because <laughs> I'm like, you know, you just, like, you're leaving, you know, the Yankees for this. Like, for, you know, all of the many things that follow the Mets the Met since the Wilpons took control. <laughs> and, you know, well, wherever I was. He was in that clubhouse with Girardi, right? Like, they, so, I mean, if he's picking up on any, um... And any, you know, Yankee skills, <laughs> I would try to think of like the word for what the Mets don't have. Um, <laughs> then like Girardi is not a bad guy to be picking stuff up from. You know, it'll be interesting to see if he sort of, he, I mean, he kind of has that low key persona that I think um, could really work for him in the right spot. Well, you know, it's funny. I think he is. I think that isn't isn't a good thing because Girardi, I think, was a pretty solid tactician. Um, throughout majority of his career, he had some, you know, numerous mistakes, but kind of everyone does if you're, if you're, you know, managing long enough. No managers uh, are good. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, the other thing with Girardi is his, um, is his communication was what was criticized in the latter Yankee years. 
Um, you know, the people uh, there were there were a lot of you know murmurs that he wasn't he wasn't connecting well with guys like Gary Sanchez, who is you know you know very critically important to the Yankee future. Um, you know that, that there were you know just that he was you know he, he was at times very tense um, with the press or you know and, and perhaps with with his players. Again, not a bad person, you know, and a lot, I think a lot of things about his communica- communication that I really liked. I love the way that he uh, defended his, his his players as well in the press, like uh, Alex Rodriguez when no one would defend him, when it, when everyone <laughs> every A Rod before the rebrand, before J Lo, before A Rod <laughs> Corp, and the fancy suits and you know and the Fox Sports analyst stuff. Like when everyone hated Alex Rodriguez, Joe Girardi stood up for him every time, and I really really admire that. Um, and so, you know, so it's not like he's, I'm not saying he's a, he's a bad person or anything like that, far from, far from that, but, but that, you know, as far as this is, you know, that some of those important soft managerial skills were not things that he was lauded for, at least towards the end of his time, you know, time in New York. So, uh, but Beltran seems to have those things that Girardi does not, or did not, um, at least reputationally. So, um, so, you know, so, so, so perhaps he's learning by example in, you know, an indirect way. Of like how how to you know build upon the you know the leadership that he's had in the past. Yeah, I think despite the fact that nervously excited, as you put it, is how I think most Mets fans would describe how they feel at this time. Um, I think that the thing that gives me like the most you know the thing that makes me calm at the end of the day is that he knows exactly what he's getting into with this job. Like he has no illusions about what the Mets are. Like he knows it. He's been through it before, and so. You know, even though the Mets have the potential to, you know, <laughs> screw him up again. Um, I think he knows <laughs> that that's the risk that he's taking with this job. And the fact that he's prepared to take that on is like, well, OK, he's ready, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah he I mean, signed all of the all the consent forms like he's a <laughs> grown ass man who is hitching his horse to this wagon. Well, and I think we what we saw with um Mickey Callaway is you need experienced people around you, which Mickey Callaway definitely did not have at, at first. So I'm kind of torn about the rumors of Terry Collins going around as the bench coach. Um, because at the end, there was that Mark Craig article where it seemed like all F, once all the veterans were gone, the clubhouse completely turned on Terry Collins because he relied on the veterans so much. So I feel like you both need experience and somebody who can relate to the younger guys. And I don't know if Terry Collins is that person. But maybe Beltran's that person already. That's um, true. Because he has the auto credibility. You know, if you're, you know, the millennial age, as we were talking about pre-podcast, right? <laughs> like uh, like uh, you all, we all grew up, you know, watching Carlos Beltran hit monster playoff home runs and, you know, and, and incredible grabs in center field and stuff like that. We all, you know, saw that. And then some, you know, and, and some of those players got to compete with him and see his intelligence, his talents, you know, even as an older ball player. So it's not, so it's, so he's kind of like, he's kind of got that, I think already on his own. I think it also, we, regardless of whether or not it is the wisest choice, I'm not entirely sure, you know, where to weigh in as far as Terry Collins. I think it would be a pretty boss move to make someone who used to be a manager your bench coach. Like that's that's dope. <laughs> like I can't like I can't in front of that. That's that's awesome. That's kind of like what uh, Jason Kidd did 
um, with the uh, Brooklyn Nets and making Lawrence Frank his, uh, oh, his yes. coach. When he used to, oh, that was actually worse because he used to play, because he actually used to play for Lawrence Frank. When he was, you know, and, and then he's, and then I made him his uh, assistant. So I, you know, I kind of like that as just far as jokes and slander. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's half the reason I watch sports anyway. So. Yeah, certainly from like, an, if you're like at the point where you're like, you know, I'm just in this for irony. Like, I just feel like like the entertainment factor of like Carlos Beltran manager, Terry Collins bench coach is just like off the charts. So at least yeah. there's that. Exactly. Thank Terry you. Collins is a bit. It is a bit. Yeah. yeah. Like ass back in the jackpot. So like it would just be funny <laughs> to watch like Terry Collins out there like being <laughs> being Terry Collins. And I feel like, you know, it would make a good kind of team in the sense that Beltran does have that kind of quiet intensity about him. And actually I think it was, it was Mickey Calway was criticized early in his managerial tenure for like not having enough quote fire. And then like when it came, it came at a very bad time and inappropriately and poorly. (laughs) And so like Beltran does have that kind of quiet intensity about him. And I trust him to not lose it in the same way that Mickey Calloway did and not like, you know, threaten a reporter so yeah, but, it doesn't really seem like his thing. Yeah, no. but Terry Collins can bring that like more fiery, blustery side, I guess, to it. Yeah, How much it, shorter than Beltron do you think Terry Collins is? Because I'm here for the visual. <laughs> that just seems it's not Aaron Judge Jose Altuve. I'll tell you that seems like it would be amusing. Yeah, no, not that amusing. That one still kind of scares me a little bit. <laughs> well, Carlos is six one, six one two fifteen, which is you know a solid size. All um, right, Terry Collins what? is like five four, so <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Maybe not. <laughs> I wonder if I looked this up if I could find it out. He's I five nine, know. according to the. Okay, internet. there we go. Okay, that's okay. So, so well, you know, you know no, it'll like, be, like be like that five nine girls, five nine guys meme. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> where, like, yes. where, where it's like one person looking down and shaking, you know, like a child's hand, and then the caption is five nine girls on on the on the tall person side and five nine guys. That's yep. what it'll be. <laughs> that's what it is so, yeah. exactly five nine wink wink well not to put this out there too but can you imagine interim coach terry collins Jesus Christ. <laughs> or interim manager terry collins <laughs> Listen, uh, is, i mean such a cursed line of thought that is a cursed sorry line of it's always a possibility with the mats <laughs> they gave beltran three years though which i did not did. expect with an option yeah. too option yeah he must have really wowed them yeah, so, especially since uh-oh. they're paying Mickey still too. Yeah, and like I don't know, I just like I was I I had said going in that like of the remaining guys, like after like Joe Girardi was kind of off the table, I said of the remaining guys at this point, like Bradford said, we're kind of going for the entertainment factor, and Carlos Beltran is obviously the most like the best story of the remaining candidates. So that's what I wanted. And so I was like, okay, I'm happy with it. And I was kind of like, I'm nervous, but I'm happy. But then the second he put on the 15 Jersey in the press, room, uh, I was like, I'm all in, I'm all yeah, in guys, <laughs> all in. I'm crying in the club. Here I am. Crying. <laughs> <It's happening. laughs> yeah. That was such a trip seeing him put the uniform on again. The, the like side by side photos of him, like, yeah. Of him putting on the 15 in the presser when they signed him as a player and him putting on 15 in the presser as the manager that like that sent me that just got me. I was like, all right, I'm in. I'm in because 15 is like because of Carlos Beltran, because like that's the player I grew up watching. Like 
15's my soccer number because of him. Like, he was wow. my favorite baseball player while he was on the Mets. And just Yeah, like, he was my favorite, too. So seeing him put on that 15, I'm just like, they better put that on sale in the Mets team store immediately because this sucker right here is going to buy it. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. He's not the worst internal option for center field right now. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got as about as much range. <laughs> as all of the other options. Yep. yep. Because we don't have Juan Lagaris anymore, so <laughs> yep. we don't have a true center fielder on the team. I mean, I'm fine with it, but you're right. We Maggie. are like in a pinch. We are one Brandon Nimmo sleeping on his neck wrong away from <laughs> Carlos Beltran in center field. One Brandon Nimmo Player cooking manager, fish wrong Carlos again. Carlos Beltran. Yeah. <laughs> oh Fantastic. man. So. I think we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about um, Rookie of the Year and Cy Young Award stuff because obviously that is the other most relevant thing happening with the Mets right now. As expected, Pete Alonso and Jacob deGrom were both announced as finalists for their respective awards, Pete for Rookie of the Year and Jacob deGrom for Cy Young. Um, I think everyone on this podcast right now can agree that Pete Alonso is kind of the shoe-in for Rookie of the Year. It's just a question at this point whether he is unanimous or not. Um, but Cy Young is a more interesting question, I think. Um, and so Bradford, what do you think are Jake's like chances at, at the Cy Young? Like what percentage chance would you say that he wins? I'd be, well, well before, before I say percentage chance, just, just speaking like, uh, my personal evaluation is that I'd be pretty disappointed if he did not win. Um, I think he was absolutely the best pitcher, uh, in baseball in, uh, in that, well, at least in the national league this year. Um, and, uh, and arguably the best pitcher in all baseball again, uh, I think, you know, he truly, you know, the, the, what the, the way he improved from June and onward was pretty, you just kind of adding to his legend as one of the all time greats and one of the all time great Mets. I think, uh, you know, correct right, answer. I, you may stay on this podcast. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> oh, oh, all right. So they don't say, um, but you know, I like, I think I think that the I think that voters have gotten past, you know, win loss records, um, largely. You know, uh, that's which is a good thing because they're uh, you know in a single season they're not the they're not the strongest indicator of you know how a pitcher performs. I, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir right now, but you know, but we you know we all know it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ryu was was incredible, um, but uh, he was. You know, but if it's and I think in a non-tiebreaker situation, like you know, um, which it is not a tie in my opinion. <laughs> you know, I, I think you guys got to give it to to Jake uh, percentage-wise. So you know, so percentage-wise, I'd say I give it like seventy percent. You know, uh, I'm not totally surprised for, about an upset, but uh, but like I think, you know, I think Jake's got it, got in the bag. He's got the narrative too after last year. I think that's about where I'm at too, at about seventy percent. What would you two say? I was kind of surprised Flaherty wasn't one of the finalists just because he put together such an incredible second half that I thought maybe he had the narrative and the momentum going forward. But since he's not in it, um, I would have to give Jake, I would maybe bump it up a little higher to like 85% because he, I, I think I see even said this, either on an earlier podcast or maybe I wrote it, um, he stuck the landing 
Like, he didn't struggle in September like the others did. He was healthy, unlike the others. So what he left the voters with was an impressive amount of work at the end of the year. So if that was fresh in their minds when they were voting, I think they would have to give it to him. So maybe, or maybe I'm just biased and I'm hoping it's at 80%, um, which is also entirely possible, but that's just how you know, I viewed it is that, you know, the others just, I think Ryu had to stay under two in order to get serious consideration because he didn't have the strikeouts. He didn't have the innings pitched. And I think his, um, the, all the other stats just don't, don't add up to where Jake is. So that's where I'm at. To, to, uh, kick myself off the pod real quick. I just want to give the quick intellectual case for right for Ryu. Okay. When I, I was looking at his stats today, and I because you know he's a he's a free agent again, and just as I'm preparing, you know, off season columns and everything, his ability to induce weak contact was like the absolute best in the league, basically. Um, and that's the kind of thing that like a lot of a lot of like the fan graphsy kind of like stats um, don't really capture. Um, but is you know to his credit, truly great pitching. Um, and uh, and so like you know so even so. While strikeouts, you know, like strikeouts, obviously, met way more in my uh, in the way I evaluate, you know, good pitching. Uh, they are not the br and end all, you know. Outs are, and if uh, and if you're getting a bunch of pop ups and can of corns and <laughs> and you know just kind of hits that don't matter, uh, especially in, especially in a rocket ball era where like everything was flying out of the park. But yet, no one can hit it hard. You know, no one can really square up, square it up off of you. I think that is very impressive. So I do want to just give you know uh, Ryu that credit um, as someone who truly is a pitcher's pitcher when he's on the mound. I might be making this up, but didn't he have some like ridiculous home run rate? Like it was minuscule. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, I could pull up the stat now, but yeah, because I remember like the, he was like the one person nobody could hit a home run off of. He, I know he was in like the bottom. Fifth, or the, the, I, I, sorry, I'm messing up percentile numbers because I'm an idiot. But, um, but, <laughs> but, his, uh, but he was in like the fifth percentile of like hard contact, which is which is good because yeah. like if you were in the 95th percentile, that would be yeah. very bad. Allison, you're like a doctor, so you can <laughs> you can correct me if I'm mistaken. Here, but I mean, I like him a lot, and I like that he's a a weird pitcher. I'm I'm always I'm very pro weird pitchers, the 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 R. A. Dickey school of thought. Um, and like if Jake has to lose to somebody, he would be my pick. But I hope Jake doesn't have to lose to anybody. So <laughs> that's that would be my preference. I could definitely see him getting dinged by a little bias against two in a row that's yeah, a fair winners. human thing to to feel um i mean that's partly why ra dickey won the cy young when he did because it, it probably should have been cursed all that year but like definitely if he can get over that hump it should be his to lose he had an incredible season um i loved watching him figure out the ball as he went along it like he was so clearly taken aback by the change from the very beginning like he had a really rough april and it was really cool just to see him reteach himself how to throw a slider like on the fly i mean that's amazing it was he's awesome that's exactly it i think that's you nailed it on the head maggie that's exactly what made this jake season really special for me um and what kind of sets it 
apart from his 2018, which was obviously like his most historic season so far, as far as just like the crazy, crazy numbers. Um, but like what made this season really special um, is like just watching him like figure it out. And that's what sets, you know, apart the like the pitchers from the throwers is like the ability to adjust to things um and this year that was the baseball and how different it was which we will get to in a future podcast uh stay tuned um but yeah so he had a really horrible april and that is the only reason why his era is like above two (laughs) if you look at his his like basically from may on like his stats are almost identical to 2018 so like we thought after 2018, like there's no way he could repeat that season, and he essentially did after April. It's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, outside of three starts, he was literally the same exact pitcher. The like the pitcher. home run, the home runs went up a little bit, but I think that was kind of normal for the turbo league. ball. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. yeah, around the league. But uh, also, I kind of feel we kind of get spoiled because. I don't know if it's just his personality or something like he's he's not Syndergaard. He's not flashy. He's not brash. He doesn't like steal the spotlight. We just take his consistency for granted. And it's just the same thing day in, day out. And like all of a sudden at the end of the year, you're like, oh, that was another really great year. Like you're just spoiled seeing him pitch every day that you just kind of he you kind of take him for granted, which isn't really fair to him because he is just so good. And we he's probably the best pitcher of my lifetime that I've seen. Like every, you know, there are other pitchers have had great seasons like Ari Dickey and Matt Harvey. But to be consistently good like he has, it's probably you know, the millennial generation who did not see Doc Good, and it's probably has to be him. Yeah, he's the best Mets pitcher in our lifetimes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think that's no contest. Um, I was going to say, best pitcher I've ever seen in my lifetime, if you expand that to all baseball teams, like, probably peak Pedro. Like, it's hard to argue that's peak Pedro. Yeah, no. Pedro, Pedro, I think, will always be my answer. Yeah, because he did that during the steroid era, too. I can see myself dying, you know, well, that's, that's, that's way macabre, but I can, see my, <laughs> I can see the entire span of my life, you know, answering the question, of, you know, who was the best pitcher you saw? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, 99-2000, Pedro Martinez, uh, no one like him. Yeah, but absolutely. But as far as Mets, Mets pitcher, he's going to surpass Gooden, I think, extremely soon, yeah. you know, uh, c- c- you know, if his health continues to remain strong. I mean, it's really something you look at his stats like he's never been anything less than awesome <laughs> like <Yep. laughs> you know and, and and in a you know a famously stacked rotation um when he you know first came up as a kind of an older rookie like with with uh you know harvey and Syndergaard and matt's even all you know uh upper echelon prospects who are tabbed as future future aces and yet there's it's, some yeah, it, it is him <laughs> who is there's who is some along. there's some tweet where i like really like kind of nastily poo poo the idea that the Mariners would ever trade the Mets. Um, oh gosh. Was it like Nick Ahmed or it was, no, it was, it was some like middling shortstop prospect. And I was like, first of all, they would never take Jacob deGrom for him. <laughs> and then oh, second no. of all, I mean like, Oh boy! I think it's my only pre-debut Degrom tweet, and it's just it's 
it's not my finest work. I'm not proud of it. I can't Hashtag say that I was exposed. But like, at least I never had to construct a prospect list that had him at like, I don't know where people were putting him like 12th. So I guess, I guess my failings on seeing DeGrom coming are not quite as um, in sharp relief as others. Well, it seems like the Mets didn't even know what they had. They just bought him up and like to put him in the bullpen. And they're like, eh, we'll just throw him in there, see what happens. And I think Dylan G got hurt. And then they, <laughs> they had G. to pitch him. Well, and when he came up, we were like, he came up at the same time as Rafael Montero. Montero. And we were all losing it over Montero. Like, <laughs> finally, he's getting his shot. Right. Oops. That's so true. Jake was in the shadow of Rafael Montero. Imagine that. Yeah, they pitched the same weekend. Montero made his debut, I think, like, either Friday or Saturday, and then Jake made his debut the next day against the Yankees. Yeah, that's right, against the Yankees. And he wasn't great, but he also wasn't terrible. And as I recall, Montero was terrible, so it was nice (laughs) to have a little... uh... A little balance. I mean, Jake only gave up one run, and it was David Wright's fault that he gave up the one run because he didn't turn a double play because he got confused by the shift. But uh, not that I've like studied this game to like <laughs> the extreme, and I think Alfonso Soriano may have hit the drove in the run. But oh, I remember that now. Yeah, but it was one run, seven strikeouts. I think six or seven innings. So it was a good oh, debut. Man, but then he, he didn't get a win in like his first nine starts because I remember thinking this poor guy's pitching his little heart out and they're not getting him a win. Get used to it, buddy. Same as it ever was. Yeah. <laughs> so like that was just you know a harbinger thing to come. I'll I'll give you a uh, an old takes exposed of my own. Um, I had a long long G chat argument with a friend of mine. Uh where I was thoroughly convinced that Michael Panetta was a better pitcher than Jake DeGrom. Oh. Um, and that was, uh, that was like, kind of late in the train, too. That was, like, 2015. Oh. Because, <laughs> you know, Michael Panetta had, Michael Panetta had to start um, where you struck out 15 dudes um, in, like, seven or something innings. And I was like, oh, man, wow, this guy, this guy, he's next, you know? <laughs> he's the next. I don't get you, you know? believing. Yep. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I... I Ignored all the injuries, the DUI, the pine tar, probably all the, the diuretics that he was taking to mess, <laughs> mess <laughs> the that uh, he may have been consuming as well. Um, if, uh, you know, this 2019 test is any indication. Um, and, and, oh, and also the, in, the inability to uh, keep batters on, which apparently is a useful skill in pitching. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the Mets like, know that uh, intimately well. That pretty much all their pitchers, besides Jake, Jake is just like average at it. But like all their pitchers are bad at, it, especially Syndergaard, of course. Yeah, you He's know, pitch, pitch, pitchability matters. Bad. But that was like in my like my worst. Uh, you know, I only read Fangraphs bag. <laughs> like, <laughs> but no, yeah. no, no, no shade to Fangraphs as a as a incredibly vital uh, resource for for kind of everything I do, but. You know, but uh, but in understanding a lot of the nuances that you know help actually lead to on-field result- results, <laughs> you know, looking at, at at a FIP is not is not uh, the end-all be-all. Which again, most fangraph writers would certainly you know uh, say say and, and have said, but I'm just an idiot again. But yeah, my but yeah. So anyway, all I say is no one saw Jake the Grom until Jake the Grom was like 20 starts in, and clearly, you know, <laughs> yeah, a future race. I think it was the eight consecutive strikeouts to start a game 
game that that we all started to realize like this is really because i think the thing about that game was like a i mean it was incredible but then also it wasn't totally surprising and when that happens and it's not totally surprising that to me says a lot Mm -hmm. yep i think that it's funny like i think that Pineda, it, that isn't even in like the like that's just part of one bucket of like the Yankees fan takes about Degrom because if you talk about all the trade proposals that have come out over like the past few <laughs> trading deadlines of like what the Yankees would trade the Mets for Jacob Degrom, there's some doozies in there. I mean, like I bet the I bet the Yankees really wish that they had traded Miguel Andujar for Jacob Degrom now. <laughs> oh man. Um, or like Clint Frazier for Jacob Degrom would be it would have been a different playoffs for them. Who says no, who says no? I'll hang up. Who says no? I'll hang up and listen. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, the best, I mean, this, this is kind of off topic, but the best was Cashman saying Strowman wouldn't have even been good enough for their bullpen in the playoffs, or he no, he would have only been in their oh. bullpen for the playoffs, and then they went for a bullpen game the day they got eliminated. <laughs> Oh my gosh, the arrogance! The, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. My, my man, my man, flew too close to the sun. <laughs> um, right there, uh, that was. You know, I actually, I, I will say this because um, I, I need to start. I need to like stop like nagging myself as like a writer and thinker. Um, but I did uh, write a column about that as it happened, where I was like, where I said something to the effect of Chad, if Chad Green isn't holding his arm. Um, like uh, one of the soldiers, save, soldiers in Saving Private Ryan. By the end of the, ALC, by the, end of the ALCS, uh, Brian Cashman looks smart, but but if that doesn't happen, he's well, going to really bad. And then what happened in Game Seven exactly. <laughs> or Game Six rather? The ALCS. He gave up a, a massive home run. Every single reliever in the Yankees is like, "Oh man, we need you know we're we're, we're burnt out. We're overexposed. <laughs> you know we're relievers." Zach Britton's like, "We're relievers. You know this is not how." supposed to be used. I mean, he didn't, I'm paraphrasing, but, um, you know, the, 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 the consensus after the game six loss was that another starting, starting pitcher, uh, would have been massively important if just for the fact that they, that the pen would have been had, you know, had less use, less burn so that they could be their best selves in game six and game seven. So, uh, you know, wild that have good pitchers is a hot take now. Isn't it? Ain't that something? Yeah. <laughs> starting starting pitching wins. Yeah. Sign good well, pitchers. It seems like the Yankees went about it backwards. They focused so much on their bullpen that they were like, eh, starting pitching. Eh. But like, you still need somebody to get those outs. And if your bullpen just isn't, you know, used to pitching that many innings, this is what's going to happen. And Marcus yeah, I, made it very clear on Twitter.com that he, he <laughs> thought it could have been him. <laughs> I love Marcus yeah. so much. I mean, like, I kind of wish he just said, like, one tweet instead of, like, 20 retweets. <laughs> like, and like, liking you, all the tweets. Yeah, well, yeah when, you, when you start, like, sharing your, your, your war, like, that's a little corny to me. But, um... <laughs> I, I, you know, but nonetheless, I mean, he was, he was genuinely dis- disrespected and I, you know, I can't imagine being in issues if, you know, Brian Cashman disrespected me, I'd, you know, probably, I'll probably be posting about it too. So, <laughs> so darn it. I get it. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, the, I think, I really think with the Yankees and with a lot of teams, 
is they took what the Royals did um, and they took the wrong lesson, which is not that it's it's a bad idea to have a really great bullpen. You know, the, I'm talking about the 2014, 2015 Royals that, you know, one was there. Oh, sorry. I'm talking yeah, to him. I'm like, what? Everyone's Too silent. I guess, I, guess, I guess no one remembers. Oh, oh. We'll put in a content warning in post production, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Trigger warning, Mets. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> That should have been the name of the podcast. <laughs> we're, no, we're naming this episode Trigger Warning Mets. Yeah, no, I knew as soon as he said it. But uh, the but the lesson was not that you should forego elite starting pitching for, you know, to have a great bullpen. You know, but like, you know, that the, the, the lesson was how to cheaply build, or, you know, a pitching staff that could get the 27 ounce, not necessarily the best foot forward for getting 27 ounce. Um, and, uh, and even the Royals, they traded for, well, they traded for James Shields, uh, before they won the pennant in 2014. They only reason they didn't keep James Shields and he, James Shields is like innings eater extraordinaire. That man was throwing like 230 innings a year, you know, um, back when people did that. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, uh, yeah, but like, you know, but, and then, and then they, uh, they let, they let him walk only because they couldn't afford him, not because he wasn't an ext- incredibly important part of that team that took the Giants to seven games. Um, and then, uh, and then midseason in 2015, they traded for Johnny Cueto, who's a very similar pitcher to James Shields, and that he's very good, but one of his, you know, best strengths during his prime was that he can g- give you seven, eight innings of two, three run ball. Um, you know, and of course, what do you do he- <laughs> in that World Series? Yeah. He threw- Game one run, you know, four hitter, or whatever. I don't know, but some sort of like you know, excellent dominant performance. The kind of thing that lets you uh, have the comfort to deploy your bullpen liberally <laughs> later on. Um, the you know, the Royals understood that starting pitching is extremely important. You know, um, they just um, because they choose to operate within a certain budget, despite being uh, another franchise worth billions, as the recent sale indicates. Um, they, you know, they chose to operate with a certain budget, and they got away with it, which is great. You know, good for good for that city and everything. But, um, but you know, but every team should you know, but teams should be absolutely ponying up for pitchers that can give you length, uh, so so that you, so that that Super Bowl pen that you want to build is most effective when it when it matters most, so that you can liberally deploy them because you have, you know, your Verlanders or Strasburgs or whatever you know, giving you length. Like, even that Justin Verlander game um, that he lost in, uh, in the ALCS game five, I want to say, um, he still threw seven innings. Like, that, that, you know, that is valuable as far as, like, you know, he lost the battle, but they won the war yeah. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. he gave them that depth uh, that allowed their bullpen to be a little fresher and just a little bit better than the Yankees. So. I mean, seven games is a long series. It is. It's, it is. You, it's a lot easier to to sneak through a five game series than a seven, because you just, you cannot run even the hardiest relievers through seven games. It just, it just can't happen. You've got to start using the other guys at that point. And that's where, you know, that's where you get burnt. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it could work. Anything could work. The Oh, six car. Oh shoot. There you go. The sugar warning. Uh, man. Uh, <laughs> Oh God, I'm sorry, but but I will. So I'll get I'll get in and out of this. But like you know, but team, you know, th- that's not a team that you would uh, 
necessarily build to win a World Series, you know, but sometimes Jeff Lever and Jeff Cipon, <laughs> you know, become <laughs> ace level pitchers for, you know, three weeks. And, and that's kind of it. So, like, so just because it can work, um, you know, doesn't mean that it should. Uh, or rather, it doesn't mean that, that you should plan your, your roster for that. So I wish that uh, other teams would do that. But there's uh, too much profitability to be had and kept <laughs> by, you know, constructing the most quote-unquote efficient you know, roster that you can. That's a pet peeve that I will probably write about until until I am dead to be intentionally macabre. Please keep <laughs> writing about it. And you know what? The, I think the uh, the take home message from this entire like part of the segment is: uh, every team who is interested in competing should sign Garrett. Cole, should be in on Garrett Cole. Mm-hmm. Every single mm-hmm. one, including Absolutely. the Mets. Please be in on Garrett Cole. They will not. Cole, Strasburg, Ryu, Wheeler, all these guys deserve to get paid. Yep. <laughs> yep. They, they're valuable players, and you know they should not be waiting until March <laughs> to yeah. get like, uh, Good lord, deal. can we not have the timeline again where like Steven Strasburg is like hanging out, like in like doing his own spring training? Like, God, I don't want that timeline. It's gonna happen. Oh. That was Jason Vargas Ugh. will be signed before Steven Strasburg. <laughs> Probably. Probably. <laughs> Oh my god, it's going to be the by the Mets, isn't it? <laughs> oh god. Fifth starter, well, no, Jason Vargas. He's a, he's a fighter. He's an innings eater. He's, he's a baseball player. He, yeah, he's an innings eater as he pitches five innings at a time. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, okay, so we are going to take a short break. Um, and when we return, um, we are going to uh, continue shifting the discussion toward wider baseball things and talk about the many things that have popped up in the, quote, stick to sports arena over the past like week or so. So stay tuned for that. And we are back. Um, so over the past week or so, um, a lot of things have happened. We keep saying that, like, you know, we're going to record every other week in the offseason. It'll be fine because it's slow news to during the off season. Well, nope, things keep happening. There was so much that we couldn't cover in the last podcast when we just went off about the Astros for an hour because ugh, you know, that happened. Ugh. Um so now we're going to cover a lot a of hour. the other stuff um in that same vein. Um between, you know, the president getting booed at the World Series and then, you know, the subsequent discourse that happened when the Nats visited the White House. Most of them did. Some of them did not, but most of them did. And bad things ensued from that. Um, and, you know, on the other side of this same coin, the whole fall of Deadspin and, you know, the, the whole stick to sports narrative and how that kind of, you know, ruined Deadspin, which was a perfectly good sports website and they killed it by asking their very good writers to stick to sports and then the very good writers were like well we want to write what we want and they left uh very bravely so um and the website is now kind of just a shell of a website the didn't they didn't the um the the guy in charge quit today not the guy who owns the website but yes yes no the editorial director uh paul i i want to pronounce actually i don't care if i pronounce it right or wrong but mainman (laughs) Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. He he quit after a weekend essentially of vlogging, uh, <laughs> some of the worst, <laughs> but, uh, most unintentionally hilarious um, vlogs I've ever seen. Yeah. So um, it's it's really good time to have um, Bradford on as someone who writes about sports for a living. Um, so Bradford, what do you make of the whole like Deadspin thing and the whole stick to sports narrative like what has been running through your mind as a as a journalist during this whole thing 
Ah, oh, Jesus, so much anxiety, man. Like, yeah. you know, uh, what it, Deadspin was just given all the drama that has happened with that website and with you know all their sister sites the last few years. Um, that they were still existing and and churning out good work, despite you know the assault from many sides, including even their 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 current owners. You know this Van Feller era, um, that they were still doing good work. I thought was like incredibly encouraging to me. So it's it's a uh, very sad to see uh, such a good and useful and useful it actually is underdoing it. And, you know, really vital part of uh, the sports media ecosystem to see them, you know, get, get, get tossed um, is, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's tragic. Uh, it's, it's tragic that we don't have the, the pointed, but generally correct commentary about things like uh, the president uh, grabbing Kurt Suzuki by the boobs <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, at the White House function, uh, you know, it's it's the, the investigative reporting that he did um, on so many subjects was, you know, broke open tons of massively important things or just silly things that, that, that were uh, excuse me, to read. Their, their investigation into whose penis was visible during the press conferences at the end of Johan Santana's no hitter. That is the kind of journalism that just cannot be replicated anyplace else. That I, the uh, mathematics behind that was really impressive. I never read that, but I know what I'm going to Google next. Um, yes. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I have, um, you know, but like from everything from like Mante Teo, you know, who uh, and his, you know, girlfriend. Girlfriend, his girlfriend for high school who, you know, vanished um, to, you know, the reporting on Baylor. Um, and yep. the culture of assault there, like, and so many of things that uh, more things I've forgotten than I can remember. Uh, that's been really pushed forward. Uh, I am not a, I'm clearly not an unbiased voice when I write. A lot of that is because of Deadspin. Um, in so many ways, indirectly, indirectly, because they, because I think they changed the way how, you know, the way that people, um, write and cover the sports that matter. Um, or, you know, rather not rather cover the sports that matter. Excuse me, but but the, but the way that they cover they cho- they, that that people choose to cover sports in a way that matters, um, rather than just being doing being a stenographer for whatever player or you know or coach or organization or billionaire, um, but also well you know uh, directly you know my boss uh, Kyle Wagner was a former dead spinner. Um, Kyle Kyle wrote a uh, an article in 2014 uh, about Gamergate. Mm. That considered one of the seminal works of writing journalism of you know this decade. I read that uh, piece. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible. It's, incre- it's an incredible, you know, longer, longer piece about um, the Gamergate, you know, phenomena slash crisis in 2014 or so, um, and it predicts really, really, really prophesies <laughs> about, about uh, the kinds of controversies that we have today. Uh, you know, you can kind of see uh, see the shadows of that all in Gamergate, and uh, you know that was a Deadspin piece. Um, so uh, you know, one of my another one of my co- my colleagues and editor, you know, um, Dennis, you know, another another Deadspinner. Like, so uh, I definitely feel like I, I try and carry the spirit of what they sought to do in my work. You know, um, I uh, 
I, 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 at a technical level, I enjoy writing with voice. I enjoy writing with, you know, attempting humor. Uh, hopefully, nailing it more than most, you know, uh, more often than not. Um, yeah, just uh, discussing the X's and O's of of, of something, you know, um, but not being afraid to bring in a, a, I guess, a wider lens about what it means for the league. So, like when I, so when, I, when we're talking about trades or free agent signings. Uh, not just kind of like taking the sort of company lines that, you know, that, that were given about why a team, you know, chose not to spend money to improve the rotation, as we were just talking about a few minutes ago. Um, that, that, that's, you know, it's the kind of thing that I, I try and discuss whenever I can or, or when, when, when we have, you know, or when players are, um, you know, uh, accused of heinous things. Uh, that are, you know, credibly accused, I should say, you know, be actually caught, you know, trying to, to, to see, you know, to, to find if it, if it is, if it is a relevant part of the story, continuing to share that, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that, <laughs> um, you don't get in a lot, you know, in a, a whole lot of publications, but you got in Deadspin. Um, and while I don't compare to, well, again, I'm, I'm going to neg myself, but like, you know, while I'm, I'm not a Deadspin writer, like I, I, I definitely, um, Deeply appreciate them, but uh, and then I'll try and end on a quick positive note um, with with my little Deadspin monologue. monologue. But uh, one of the things that I do admire about about the uh, about the team there is that they did not uh, they rejected the destiny that uh, the organization had handed to them, uh, which was to stick to sports and to just kind of churn out stupid blogs that didn't actually say anything that matters. I I I really admire the bravery that of just kind of like quitting, <laughs> quit, quitting rather than 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 you know than uh, pocketing checks while the Titanic sunk. Um, but I think that's I think that is inspiring because uh, that uh, it's very much a spirit that's been to I think not just uh, allow. There's a great there's a great Albert uh, Bernico blog uh, about. Again, not not sports related whatsoever, but it was about when um the when that when that man was with uh was dragged through the airplane. Do you remember that, Doctor David Dow? I want to say, um, and how uh, there's so many people that you know that worked for the airline that complied with the evil that was happening. They weren't the uh, people who caused it for sure, you know, uh, per se, but they you know, but they allowed it to go on, you know, by by uh, you know whether. Calling the authorities, or you know, or, or or enforcing the 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 stupid and discriminatory rules um, that airlines, you know, enforce, uh, you know. But his the whole point was was that you you know, it's essentially that you don't have to follow those rules, and that's what Deadspin did. They didn't follow the stupid, um, destructive, you know, uh, edict from their company, but but chose to. to Put things in our own terms, you know, and things in our own terms, and and that's uh kind of that's something I I, I certainly um why I'm, I'm not I'm I should qualify by saying I'm very happy at, at my job with the Daily News, but like you know, but should stuff ever hit the fan, like I hope to have the kind of courage to be like, no, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm I'm not going to to play it safe and keep a job by doing what someone else, you know, who does not have the truth in <laughs> the the truth in uh in in view, um, wants me to do. I want to, you know, I want to prioritize that that before anything else. 
my morals, my convictions, and uh, the public interest. So, yeah, they refused to sell their souls. It was just awesome to watch. I mean, like obviously, it was simultaneously really sad to watch um, the way it went down. But it was, you know, it was, I also like admired their courage and what you said about writing with voice. I I really love that and like. I really feel like the writers at Deadspin and your writing are, are the type of writing that like people like me, like I try to emulate that. And like, I like writing where you can cover up the byline and you can know whose writing it is. I feel like David Roth writes like that. <laughs> He's like one of yeah. my like, you yes. know, Mets like writing heroes. <laughs> of course we all love David Roth here because you know, he writes about the Mets in such a way that like almost no one else can. Um, and I feel like your writing is like that too, Bradford, where you could just like cover up the byline. And I could be like, that's Bradford. I know that. <laughs> Shucks. Yeah. Thank you. And that's a good thing. I think that that's good. <laughs> well, I think what's what's sad is just the increasing, the increasing dearth of such options. Um, you know, it's it's not like Sports Illustrated was the most human of publications but like certainly they had a lot of really really talented writers before they gutted like what a month ago like yeah talk about the yeah. the news cycles going pretty quickly I think it was basically a month ago that Sports Illustrated just like again gutted itself um and you've got The Athletic which is a great um a great publication and does get really true like genuine voices in there but I also if you look at kind of you know it's basically like run by a bunch of hedge fund hedge fund kind of guys and like that doesn't seem to be a recipe that works well for quality writing long term so I don't know it's just it's it's scary how it all fits in with the larger with the larger trends of where publishing seems to be headed yeah it was great to say they have a, a website that was at one point uh, independently profitable. It was not being pumped up by um, shadow VC money. Yeah. Um, and and the unrealistic expectations that always come from when you know you get VC money, which is why there's always you know there seems to be a five seven year or six month life cycle for so many publications with with promise. You know, uh, it was you know they were they were profitable and they got attacked for uh, you know. Being, <laughs> being themselves <laughs> essentially, and, and that's you know, and, and not just not just atta- attack doesn't even is uh is too tame a word. They were you know they were um there was you know there was a plot to to litigate them to their grave, and uh you know and, and sadly that worked. But the, but you know but it, it, we we need you know in media independent media that does not uh, rely on some you know multi-millionaires or billionaires <laughs> to finance its day-to-day operations. Yeah. It's just sad how these like rich ghouls just like gut these websites for parts and turn them into content farms. It's just extremely depressing. Like, and I think a big, like a big thing with a lot of people, like I think the people that are on this podcast right now is that it's not just about like the writing itself, even though like that's all incredible. It's about like, I feel like, I came of age in sports fandom by reading these sorts of articles and it made me the informed sports consumer that I am now. And that is hugely important in perpetuating, you know, the sorts of 
like the way we want to consume sports and that isn't just in a stick to sports way like i want to be an ethical a moral consumer of sports and that's what the goal of like you know this podcast is and what the goal of that type of writing is and like i feel like when i not even like when i was a kid like literal growing up like actually in my adult life coming of age in sports fandom reading the sorts of articles that were at deadspin like it made me the sort of like consumer sports that i am now and it allows us to perpetuate hopefully like bending a moral arc toward justice so to speak when it comes to you know how we think about sports as a part of a society and not something that exists in a bubble that we could just stick to that and not talk about these wider issues that are these wider cultural issues that are super important well it's ironic and like it's it's both ironic and yet obvious on its face that deadspin would be where the question of stick to sports ultimately blows up because deadspin like steadfastly refused from the start to even even consider the question of like should we be about sports or about politics because they just like flat out accepted the premise that like everything is politics politics is all over everything we do all the time if you take even the most like minuscule second to consider it. Um, And so Deadspin just never, they were never like, Hmm, we should have more articles about politics or, you know, we should try to separate our sports from because that just, that just doesn't make sense to them as a reflection of the world. Cause of like, of, of course, sports are political. There's, there's, we have a podcast right here where we talk about the the political side of sports all the time. Like, it's just they don't even see there as being a particular point to the question. Oh, they they did, I should say. This is all different now. Well, even like at the parade, well, like Bradford mentioned, Suzuki being groped by the president in front of, oh boy, in front of that, and then he was like, "Oh, I didn't think it would be political. We're just, it was just about us winning the World Series, dude. Like, you don't get to put on a uh, Make America Great hat again and then just say, "Oh no, it's not political. Like, you can't have it." like you were making a statement by putting that hat on does he not realize that well well, that's also i just gotta say because this is the thing where they're like oh it's about respecting the office of the presidency yes he did not put on an office of the presidency hat he put on a (laughs) trump campaign hat that is like the most like baldly political statement that one could possibly have made in that context like it is just utterly and completely political like there's no other content to it of any kind jesus christ (laughs) i I think that there is the possibility though slim that kurt suzuki did it ironically he doesn't Um, seem like the smartest person (laughs) i've ever met like like you know just kind of the quote-unquote dude bro um, doing it is like, a, <laughs> bro, yo, give me a hat. Come, come on, come on, give me a hat. <laughs> I don't know, it'll be, it'll be funny. Come on, everyone's gonna love it. You know, that, that's what that's what I that's what I heard 
like in my mind as I was reading the text message, you know, interview, whatever, you know, um, where he defended himself um, and even saw him, you know, again, doing Titanic or whatever. <laughs> but, but the R-rated version, <laughs> you know, with, with the president. Um, <laughs> so, like, you know, just just all being a gag. But even but even that, like, not, I don't even think that that delineating the motivation um, matters in any real material way. Um, because, you know, because we know what the hat is actually for, um, and whether you did out of, out of ADC or ignorance or, you know, genuine commitment, <laughs> like doctrinal commitment to, to the ideology espoused, um, from, by, you know, by the president in the phrasing that led to the, you know, famous hat, it don't really matter. But again, if only there was a website that specialized in, <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> you know, breaking that kind of thing down. Um, in a quick, timely, hilarious, and poignant way. Yeah, hmm, I wonder what website that could be. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Bradford, you talked about like a couple of like specific like Deadspin articles that were you know like sort of sea changes and like really important articles. And one that I just want to give a mention to that I think of when I think of Deadspin is Lindsay Adler's article in Deadspin about um, the guy who who posed as a 13-year-old girl on a sports blog to, or the 13-year-old no, girl. No, it's a girl. Oh, it's other way, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, who posed as a married man um, on a sports blog um, and did that, you know, and T- took that act way too far and d- did it for a long time. Um, that article was kind of like, that's kind of when I sort of became like, went from a casual Deadspin reader to being like a fan of Deadspin and reading like a lot more of their stuff. Um, because that article was like wild. <laughs> and that's the sort of stuff that you couldn't find anywhere besides a Deadspin. Um, yeah. that I feel like is getting lost now. Um, so I just wanted to give that qu- article a quick shout because Lindsay was on the show a little while back and that's like my favorite piece of writing that she's ever done because it's really, really good. And if you haven't read yeah. it, you should. No, I, I, I remember reading that with my jaws to the floor. And, you know, I should say like, because like I, I don't, I, I, I spoke, said a lot of, you know, a lot about Deadspin. I feel like Deadspin wouldn't want me to lionize Deadspin. You know, they, they made a lot of, they, you know, they, there was a lot of mistakes made. Um, you know, no, no website, of course, is perfect, but like, you know, but, uh, I think one of the things that was, I did appreciate them, you know, about them is that they did seem to try and evolve from like, you know, the, you know, um, perhaps the, the, the more bro immaturity of, you know, their first few years of you know, existence where it was like, you know, um, liberal politics with a sprinkling of stooly <laughs> sort of like, you know. Yeah, they definitely had a South um, Parkish vibe yeah. early on. Yeah. Uh, again, I, 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 an ironic distancing of you know misogyny or racism even. Um, but uh, you know, but but there was a, it was a, it was a whole lot of growth and a lot of meaningful journal. I think I think my favorite series of Deadspin articles were was uh, Greg Howard's on the undefeated. Have you guys ever read those? I have. No. Oh my goodness! So you should y'all need to Google this, but. But Greg Howard, who was a uh, former New York Times journalist before that Deadspin, um, he wrote this. Uh, he wrote the, the, a series of exposés, essentially, on the early days of the Undefeated, and particularly Jason Whitlock, who uh, was the uh, you know who helped create you know help create the website, but had you know but was had produced like maybe like three articles over the first like two years of his existence because he's an incompetent idiot. 
and uh, you know he's, uh, but you know, but he can, but he can talk and he can barely talk, and uh, and complain about like Colin Kaepernick, you know, being rightfully angry about <laughs> police violence, and so he has a TV show on Fox Sports, but. Um, but yeah, so but Jason, but Jason Whitlock essentially got driven out of the uh, out of the undefeated, uh, which is now a, at least a, a respectable site. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, no place is perfect, of course, but like you know, but they, but they have you know, but now they have competent competent leadership. You know, um, they produce good work worth reading about um, the black experience within sports. Uh, before that, they you know they but they were being run to the ground by an idiot, and you know, and Jason and and it was Greg Howard who was about our age, you know. I, I guess he's probably in his early thirties now, you know, like, um, but, but it was maybe in his twenties when, you know, when he wrote these articles, um, just kind of breaking down everything went wrong, went wrong in hilarious fashion. Um, and in a way that changed dramatically changed ESPN's approach to one of their flagship, you know, projects in recent years. So, uh, that's probably one of my favorite, you know, like pieces of journalism, um, from, from, uh, from Deadspin. I definitely, you know, encourage you all to read that. Yeah, definitely going to go back and read that. Um, so I guess the, the like final thing that I'll talk about that we'll talk about on this whole like stick to sports theme is I'm curious what um, you think, Bradford, and actually what Linda and Maggie think about this, too, because like I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, why do you think that this is kind of all like coming to a head now and all of these things are dovetailing at once and why this like is like kind of boiling over in this moment um do you think it's like the unique culture of the trump era that's driving it do you think that there are other factors like why do you think that this is kind of all coming to a head in like this exact moment in time i mean it's hard to like come up with like a grand unifying theory for why everything sucks (laughs) (laughs) that could also be a title of the podcast i was just thinking that's uh it's you know that's that's i mean really really though it's 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 hard it's hard to say why you know amoral idiots run the world except for you know that's the way the earth is all kind of always spun to some degree and then there you know and there are people that you know that hopefully rebel against it and then they usually lose <laughs> and life, you know, life keeps going um but uh i, I still that's so nihilistic I, i'm not a, that nihilistic i promise but um but you know that i i, I you know I, I think that uh i think that people i do think that as far as just the media in general that people do feel a sense of uh aim or, or rather like I think a, a lack a, a lack of shame in the way that uh, like honest independent media is sort of attacked in you know in just kind of sort of the broader culture the whole like you know fake news but like you know but the but the cynical sarcastic deployment of fake news um, or not sarcastic but you know but cynical disingenuous deployment of fake news uh, towards actual you know good reporting um, metastasized by capitalism i guess you know people having the money to to shut down the things that they don't like uh and uh until you uh kind of solve those problems you uh you know again like which i guess is sin nature slash (laughs) slash money um you're always going you know 
it's not going to really uh, go away anytime soon. I would love to figure out some sort of nonprofit method towards creating a good sports site. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't have, it's, it's at least currently above my pay grade, but you know, but shoot, if anyone has, wants a brainstorm, <laughs> that could be the next pod. I had, had, had to, had to save, had to save, uh, the free press. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of kind of, that's, that's kind of my farting out some thoughts, thoughts. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's just, it's, it's easy to feel like pretty hopeless about this whole thing. Cause I just feel like me as just like a, a fan, a sports fan who like likes to consume sports media and like blogs about the Mets like I just feel like I have very little power to change all of this but like the only thing I feel like I can do is like keep writing the sort of stuff that I want to write and keep doing this podcast and just like you know tweeting to my like very small Twitter audience like into the void about like (laughs) these things like I don't know what else to do like like what can we do I don't know I don't know I mean I mean I think the one I think I think that's honestly, you know, what, what, what's the serenity prayer? You know, uh, God help me to, to know, to control what, you know, to know what I can control. I'm, I'm, I am completely. Except, that things right change. <laughs> Except what you so can't change. Change what you, what you can and know, to, know the difference. Definitely I think those are the beautifully things. said. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. So, so go so on a t-shirt. Do that. <laughs> um, and part of that is, you know, it, it is for, for people who, you know, have the thoughts, which, you know, not everyone has the thoughts to actually be, you know, that, that you know, a lot of people who are writing don't actually have a, a framework, a moral framework to assess the way the world works. Sadly, that is um, incredibly true within baseball media. Oh, boy. That um, is true. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but for those that, that, that do, you know, to continue uh, finding a good fight by, 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 um, faithfully, accurately writing, reporting about uh, th- things that matter. You know, get the information out while we, you know, while you can. Um, you know, if you have the income, the disposable income to 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 help institutions that do it, you know, that do report the truth, please support them. Consider a subscription to uh, you know your independent your local media. Um, I, I can recommend, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a newspaper <laughs> if you if you need it. <laughs> Um, I mean, I would say supporting, supporting your publication, your preferred publications financially in any case. Like I would say if you find yourself kind of bummed out for like the 10th time that week that a link to baseball prospectus was for subscribers only, it's time to subscribe, like support. There are not that many institutions that are, that are trying to make this work, but those that are they need readers and often deserve readers even better. Um, And like, I found myself really wanting to share more and more like baseball perspectives and the athletic and other, um, other publications out there that, that do charge for the, for the work that their writers are doing. And I think like that model needs to, we all need to be okay with that model. It's an important one. And, you know, be a fan of stuff, but also, like, be honest about, you know, about when publications you like really mess up. And that, you know, that, apl- that applies yeah. to, to me as, like, 
terrifying as it is to say out loud. Like, you know, but like when, you know, but, but, uh, though I will never fail you ever <laughs> in, the, in, the, in, in the hypothetical chance that, you know, where, where I don't get something wrong on a, or, or rather don't get something right, uh, whether it's small things to, you know, to, to, to big things, like, please, like, be honest, you know, keep publications and, and writers and editors, you know, accountable for the mistakes. And that applies to, you know, whatever you read, you know, um, so that we can do, you know, good work. Um, and that's, you know, that, that, uh, that, that's, that's vital that, that, uh, that the sort of trust with the public, um, like remains because, uh, because, because so much trust is eroded in, you know, in the media period, um, that, uh, you know, and, and rightfully so, like, 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 I'm not even, I don't even think it's, it's entirely wrong. You know, there's, 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 again, there's a cynical Trumpy deployment of it. Um, but then there's also complete failures to, to, uh, accurately, fairly, morally report on issues impacting communities outside of the, you know, the mostly white newsrooms that are, you know, dominate this country. Um, there, there are, you know, you know, again, we see that in based on media with the, with the way we get the, you know, domestic violence issues wrong. So often we get, you know, issues of, you know, racial injustice so wrong where, you know, where either we don't comment or comment on it, or we don't have the range to comment on it. Um, that's a, you know, that, that, that is, it is rightfully alienated so many people that could be, you know, reading and supporting if they believe that they were being heard. Um, and, uh, and so I, I strongly encourage people to be as passionate a critic as they are, uh, a voracious reader of what we do. Yeah. And I would say, I would add to that and say, if, if you are, if you are criticizing someone for what they've put out there in the world, um, and they are someone that you usually like what they put out in the world, criticize in good faith, argue in good faith, always like, I mean, obviously there are people who are not writing in good faith, so I'm not talking about those folks. Um, <laughs> if the person's not making their their art, their initial argument in good faith, that's totally different. But if a person is writing in good faith and making an argument in good faith that you happen to disagree with for whatever reason and you think that they've made an honest mistake and their heart is in the right place, but they've made an honest mistake uh, for whatever reason just because they're ignorant of the way a certain community experiences the world or they've just, you know, made an error because we're human, then make the argument in good faith and, you know, don't just, like, scream like you suck at them because that's not gonna help the discourse um so there's there's that the, these these should be like conversations rather than you know people screaming at each other yeah i i i largely recommend you know some level of uh basic kindness <laughs> um, have you the seen the internet home. before it feels like you might be new I know, right? Yeah, I got. I can just open up my MacBook now. But um, but no, I mean, you know, basic kindness is is nice. But you know, even you know, but I I would rather I I personally, me Bradford, um, would I've gotten to a point where like I think sometimes a lot of um, a lot of times things aren't said because we're so afraid of like, you know, offending our friends. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, like so, so like the good guys. Yeah, we're like. You know, we might be a little more polite with and then just gossip about them in the DMs. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, well, the bad guys are like, oh, yeah, have this dude, you know. 
um, you know, I, I, uh, I actually try and make a point of uh, responding to like hate mail, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, which you get a lot of when you work for a tabloid. Uh, I'm, I'm, again, I'm pretty new to like, um, I just say again, because for those who don't know me, but I, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm pretty new to, you know, full-time staff writing for, you know, a uh, publication. I've done it, I've done it before off and on, but like, you know, but it's probably the most stable, which is not saying a lot because it's still, you know, media, but st- stable job I've had in, in this, in this space. Um, so I'm learning a whole lot, you know, but I, you know, but I, I, I've, it's, it's been one of those things that keep me honest is just kind of like, you know, giving someone even, you know, so long as someone, someone doesn't say something belligerently racist to me, like, uh, <laughs> I really, you know, don't mind, um, just, just hearing, oh, well, you know, I, I disagree with you, but I, I'm grateful that you took the time to talk to me because it forces me to think about what I, you know, what I'm saying and, you know, and you keep me in business. So, um, so by all means, like, you know, be, you know, don't be, don't be an asshole, um, excuse my language, but like, you know, but be, you know, but, but be honest, even to your friends. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. even your, yeah, the, the good people, the good guys in, in media, whoever, whoever, whoever he or she or they may be. Yeah, that's important. Um, okay. So we are going to take one more break and when we get back, we will end this show, which has had a lot of, you know, depressing content with lighthearted moments with a lighthearted moment. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. And we are back. Um, we are going to end the show like we always do with Walk Off Wins, where each of us talks about what is making us happy this week, baseball related or otherwise. Maggie, what is your walk off win for this week? All right. Well, I don't want to um, overcommit, but early looks like the uh, election day results are a walk off win. But in any case, <laughs> sticking <laughs> sticking to sports. Oh, wait, I'm not sticking to sports now either. Um, <laughs> Halloween. Halloween is my walk off win. Um I had like the closest thing in Manhattan you will have to like the classic trick or treating experience of like we picked the kids up and we took them to this stretch of street that closes off to traffic and it's just all these townhouses and they get super super into it with tons of decorations and like it's we went a couple years ago um and I was really excited because both the kids are like trick or treating age. Um, and we just had an amazing time. Like the weather held out. I had like ponchos, like literally like handmade ponchos from garbage bags ready to go. And we didn't have to use them at all. And my kids were like the most polite ones there. They said, thank you constantly and I was so proud and they loved their costumes Ellie loved her costume because it was the one that Tommy wore two years ago he had been Moana and then she wanted to be Moana so that was wonderful for my um for like my crafting time that I did not have to do anything for her and then Tommy I built a four train costume because he's just decided that he loves the four train which sure whatever um and it was amazing. It was just, it was a great, like, classic five-year-old and two-year-old Halloween. And it was, it was a darn good time. So happy belated Halloween to everybody. Halloween we'll definitely have to sidebar and uh, get those pictures. Oh, yes. There will be pictures. Yes. Halloween's the best. I love Halloween. I might be biased about that because Halloween is two days after my birthday, but I love Halloween, which 
kind of brings me to my walk-off win, which I think I share with Linda this week. Yes, um, you do. So my walk-off win um, has to do with my birthday, which happened. Um, you know, we actually recorded the last podcast on my birthday. So we were recording on my birthday last week. Um, but over the weekend between last week and this week, um, I had like a friend's birthday celebration. It was really nice. Um, I went up to White Plains, um, hung out with Michael and his mom. His mom made me dinner. And it was really nice. And then the next day, um, Michael and I hung out with Linda and Kellyanne. So we had like an amazing avenue, like friend's birthday. Hey. Um, it was very fun. We did brunch. Um, we had too many mimosas at brunch and it was wonderful. Oh, yes. That's the right number. Yes. Um, Amazing Avenue Slack got to receive like our drunk slacks. It was fantastic. Um, And then we went and did an escape room and we escaped. So hell yeah. With 49 seconds left. (laughs) 49 seconds left. The escape room was no match for three librarians and a scientist. (laughs) Well, so, yeah. if I can move on to my walk-off, like, kind of, like, piggybacking off of that. But it's such a rush going through one of those things. Like, it's... Completely... I've always wanted to try. Oh, you have to do it. It's so much fun. Like, just taking, like, <laughs> I would die for a puzzle. Well, this, you could have almost died because technically you were being held hostage by a creepy surgeon. You had to get out of there before he killed you. I love it. Um, I'm there. Yes. Yeah, so... <laughs> So it was like kind of like seeing like how unrelated things in the room like related to each other and um, like because I just kept shouting everything we need is right here what aren't we seeing <laughs> so yeah but then when you figure it out you just feel so accomplished and like like it's just exciting and I'm so glad we did it and I'm so glad you had fun Allison and thank you for inviting me too I had such a blast hanging out with you guys it was so fun like I yeah I guess I was the only escape room veteran in the group because everyone else it was their first escape room it was my like fourth or fifth escape room because I love them and so um so yeah I want to go back yeah, we should go back. They have three other rooms. So it was, it was you know, really fun to not only, like, actually do the escape room, because that was amazing, but it was fun to, like, watch uh, Linda, Kellyanne, and Michael experience their first escape room, because Kellyanne <laughs> was like, we gotta write everything down. We gotta write everything down. Where's the marker? And Linda was like, everything relates. <laughs> it was just, like, really funny. Oh, yeah, look, those <laughs> so, escape yeah. rooms, man, I, I, uh, I, we, I went with my nieces and nephew, um and uh we won with uh point like two seconds. Whoa uh, Yeah, so it felt it felt like a twenty four episode. Um cause, cause they had they had they had that they, they, I think they even used the same sound effects. You know? Um that was cool. I will say the I think you reverted to waterboarding just a little too quickly. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um so Bradford, what is your walk off win? My walk-off win. Um, let's see. Something. I'll I'll share two cool things that happened. They're very one one with a more consequential, one less so. The the more consequential thing was uh, I got to uh, cover actually a basketball game for my first time as yeah. a member of the press. So that was cool. So I was at uh, I was at the. It Knicks. wasn't the Knicks, was it? No, it was not the Knicks. Um, okay. It was a 
a team with hope and promises. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it might be more of a punishment if it was. The yeah. <laughs> uh, I was at, I was actually at a Brooklyn Nets game um, last night. They were playing the uh, the Pelicans. Um, I had initially marked it on my calendar because of uh, you know the Uber prospect Zion Williamson, um, and you know very excited to see him and possibly right off of you know off of that. But uh, no, but uh, you know that uh, Zion got hurt. Um, oh. Started so it wasn't meant to be. Um, but it was, you know, but it was a, it was a fun experience, and you know, one and I've hopefully an opportunity to, to broaden my, you know, my uh, my own coverage, and uh, and just, you know, just I, I, I hope to write about kind of anything I like, um, and but do it well. So so it was good to get my feet wet and you know, NBA locker room and stuff like that. And so I was really grateful for that. Uh, other thing I'm grateful for, the other walk up win was I just had a really good slice of pizza today. Oh, oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, Where? For, and actually, uh, just so you so you know, Maggie, since uh, a f- fellow uptowner. Yeah, uh, we're neighbors. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a place called Lucille's. Um, Lucille's. It's on okay. uh, it's on like one fiftieth in Macomb. So it's weirdly not the most transit accessible because, like, you know, it's not uh, it's not it's it's in that part of Harlem that's like not elevated by like hills, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yes. you know or or Washington Heights, you know. Um, and so like the D train gets you there, the two, three gets you there. Um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, perhaps there's a bus, I don't know, but, um, I could, I can, I can walk there. I just have to walk down a hill and then up a hill. Um, but yeah, so Seals is, a uh, it's owned by actually the guy who, uh, uh, well, excuse me, the guy who Alex Trebek's son is, uh, Whoa. Okay. Oh, that oh, guy. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, he, he has a couple of coffee shops, you know, um, in, in the neighborhood, um, you know, they're all like 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 many new businesses, you know, attracting, I guess, the 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 newer residents of, you know, Harlem <laughs> that uh, don't reflect the, you know, the, the older community. But the pizza is very good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I I cannot like, you know, uh, I cannot eat on that. And so uh, and it's, it's probably the best pizza I've had uh, since moving to Harlem about, you know, Harlem slash Washington Heights the last five years. I've been dying for a good slice. Cause I, I grew up in Queens. So, uh, so, you know, you can't, you can just trip over a good pizza in the, in the outer boroughs. Uh, but Manhattan, you know, besides like being in like little Italy and, you know, some of the neighborhoods, like, you know, most of it's kind of bad, like relative to the city. Um, but not Lucille's. Lucille's is actually like borderline, like destination pizza. So, um, so yeah, so I'm I'm not a uh, brand sponsor of Lucille's, but I can be bought. So if anyone's <laughs> if anyone's listening, Michael Trebek. Um, well, what toppings did you get? Uh, I just got pepperoni, man. Um, All right. But oh, I uh, love pepperoni. Yeah, just my go. I, I get pepperoni almost every time. Uh, I've become a regular there, but uh, uh, they you know they might be on the slice app though. Um, Y'all, they or- deliver to my office, Maggie. Oh, oh my God, they're oh, on man. Okay, we get. Uh, a Poto pizza party. Yes, yeah. let's do it. Right. At my office. At Maggie's <laughs> office. I'm down. I'm I'll meet you at the lobby so I can scan you in with my ID, I guess. Oh, let's go. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, after not living in the, like, in the metro area for a while, like, coming back, that was, like, the thing I missed the most was good pizza. Cause like Baltimore, like Baltimore is a really, really good food scene actually. Like I really loved the food okay. there. Um, and they had decent 
pizza if you're looking for like the fancy Napolitan style of like, you know, fancy pizza. But like when you're looking for like by the slice size of your face, that just like doesn't exist in Baltimore. Right. So the second I moved back to Jersey, I was like, pizza. (laughs) (laughs) So anywhere I can get a good slice, I'm like totally down. I'm milking this this year that I'm back in Jersey for all it's worth because I don't know where I'm going to be after this year. So. Oh my god, it looks so up. good. I'm sorry, I'm just sitting here looking at pizza pictures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a great well, way to end one's day, honestly. To just like... An all beef meatball lathered in a spicy arabiata sauce Yo, set over what? a lot of cheese. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Do they deliver to Westchester? <laughs> <laughs> For enough money, babe, they'll deliver anywhere. Yeah, okay. right. I don't know that that's true. I'm just saying that it is. <laughs> what is your price? Um, I mean, I'll deliver it to you. For, all right. For a, a certain price. A small I'll give you fee. a good tip. <laughs> my, like, my freelancing rate. I'll figure out what that is. <laughs> Freelance pizza deliverer. That's a good. That's a good backup career in case. That's I'm a good not... side business. I'm pretty sure that actually is like literally a whole lot of people's backup side gigs nowadays. Well, I mean, like like Grubhub. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's the glory of the gig economy. We all need a side hustle. And that's why they're going to carry me from Columbia University feet first. (laughs) Give me that old school standard issue employment, please. Oh, God. Yeah. Anyway. Um, So... Bradford, it was so great to have you on. Um, we really appreciate your time. Where can our listeners find you on the interwebs? Okay, well, I have a terrible Twitter handle. Um, it is it starts in an underscore, I'm sorry, but uh, underscore B-E-W-I-L-L-Y, so B-Willie, because my byline is Bradford William Davis. So um, so, that's, so, that's my, uh, so that's my bad Twitter handle. But uh, I, 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 love the, I love the post. Yes, right? <laughs> Only thing I need is like a set seven digits behind that um, and an egg. But no, um, I am – yeah, so I love the post. Um, and, you know, I do it often. So, uh, so you can catch me there. Uh, you, can, you can catch me at the, at, uh, the New York Daily News. You know, um, I'm writing there regularly. Most – you know, usually, usually baseball, but, you know, but, but with uh, some dives into other sports as well. Um, and uh, – yeah, um, I'm around. As Maggie knows, I'll, I'll grab a cup of coffee if, <laughs> if you ever want to talk sports or not sports. And, uh, you know, happy happy to just kind of uh, connect with the, the greater local sports fan community uh, so I can do my job the best I can. Fantastic. We're not sticking to sports on this podcast. We'll talk about anything. Um, so you, you should follow Bradford and you should read his writing if you aren't already. So do so. Um, also please follow Amazing Avenue. We are on all the social medias, um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Um, you can follow our show on Twitter at a pod of their own. You can follow each of the hosts on Twitter. I am at petite PhD. Where are you, Maggie? At Maggie one six two. And you, Linda? At Linda Servage. Follow all of us on Twitter. Follow the show on Twitter. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review the show. It really helps people find it. Um, the original music for the intro and this outro to the, the intro and the outro to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no crime in the-